Hello and welcome to Dare to Know, interviews with quality and reliability thought leaders. I'm Tim Rogers, and today we have a special interview recorded by Fred Schenkelberg. Fred's guest was Ryan Van Fleet, product engineer at Reliance Corporation. Ryan attended Penn State University where he studied computer engineering, and he's taken his knowledge of software to the reliability engineering field. His introduction to reliability engineering was as a quality assurance analyst with Relics Software Corporation, which was later acquired by PTC. Later, he took a position as an IT project manager with General Electric's Transportation Division, where he implemented software solutions to locomotive manufacturing quality, field reliability, and field maintenance analytics. Ryan next joined the team at Reliance, working in software engineering for their reliability prediction product, and then accepted his current role as a product engineer to help define and deliver the next generation of Reliance, reliability, and software quality tools. Let's join Fred's interview with Ryan Van Fleet. Right. Welcome to Dare to Know. This is Fred Schenkberg, and I'm talking to Ryan Van Fleet from Reliance with a Y. It's, <laughs> it's, remember the, the show Car Talk? No. Have you ever heard that? It's an NPR show. There's Click and Clack the Tappet Brothers, these two guys mm -hmm. that would do talk about car maintenance. Okay. And, it, and it was a call-in live show. And, and if a woman called, and I was just talking to Kelly Snyder, and I mentioned mm. it to her. Yep. And I said, if you ever called that show, they would definitely ask, Kelly, huh? Is that with a C, with a K, with an I, with an IE, a double E? <laughs> <laughs> so what's the reliance is uh, relatively new. I, I'm yes. not familiar with it. I had to ask what you guys did and what, where it came from. But we're, the, the reliance with a Y, I would have probably pronounced it differently, so I'm glad I asked. But where did that come from? Where did, where did you guys start? So about three years, so we were about three years old at this point as a company. And how we started is the original founders of Reliance, who are Kevin and Eileen, they were the original founders of Relics back in 1986. That's right. And then it's they been were, around a long time. It's been around a long time, exactly. And then they ran it until about, uh, about 2010 or so, 2008 probably, they sold. They sold to PTC, um, retired for five years, enjoyed that for a little bit, but then decided to come back into the game, start Reliance, which is really a com direct competitor with PTC now. And was it a five-year no-compete clause in the sale? It was a three-year no-compete okay. clause. In the, in <laughs> but they the enjoyed sale. the vacation exactly. part of it. Exactly, they enjoyed the vacation, made some trips down to Florida, and so got to relax a bit. Uh, but then decided to get back into it, and really with the idea of taking all that knowledge that they had for those 20 years, mm -hmm. but being able to start fresh, start with something new, and not have to bring all that baggage from 20 years of software that everyone's used to, and then make something new for everybody. Well, you also, and you mentioned that you're in the computer science realm. Yes. Not necessarily a reliability guy. Yes. I won't hold that against you. <laughs> <laughs> but the the the... Starting fresh, the tools today are completely different than 20, 25 years ago. They are. 
Yes, the tools are completely different. A lot of them have the same ideas. They'll have, like, if you're looking at prediction or FMEA, they'll have new standards, same ideas, new standards, but then some of them, yeah, are completely new or completely different than what they used to be. Well, I'm talking even the computer science end of the tools. Oh, is... that's totally different, right? Relics right. was all C++-based, installed on a laptop. We're all cloud-based, um, built on Microsoft Azure. Okay. And then so it's completely hosted in that environment and there's no, you know, you don't install it on your computer or anything and it's all web-based. Well, I'm seeing more and more software doing that. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at a, a package for project planning that's all web-based. And I realize one of the downsides of that is that on the airplane, um, I couldn't... You can't do it. I can't do as much. <laughs> and I, so I pulled out my tablet which had the ability to locally edit and then it would sync later. Uh, and I'm yep. like, okay, they need to put that in the desktop, right. the ability to sync, but it, it comes through a browser, so it, it, it's a d technical problem. Yep. How about the, uh, I mean, Relics, um, I mean, you see the site and, and PTC, I don't know what, they're using more generic graphics, so I'm not sure where they're aiming the, the software, but Relics was kind of the, the military contractor type package. Mm -hmm. They can't even attend a webinar on WebEx because they at work because of the security risks and so on. So how how are they going to be able to do a, a, a fault tree diagram on a cloud-based system? Right. Or is that not the market? Maybe you're going after something else. And so originally that was not our market mm -hmm. target, um, but kind of what we found is so we came to Rams last year and came with this just cloud solution, mm -hmm. you know, all hosted by us. And what we basically found out is a lot of people here were just immediately can't use it for that same reason because they can't. Well, even in, in, in commercial companies, it's, right. it's well, yeah. well, I don't want to I don't want to send our dirty laundry right out essentially the outside. Absolutely. So what we did is we actually went back after last year and we now have a version that can be installed on a Windows server, any Windows server or even Windows laptop. Mm -hmm. And then you can install it with the idea of a company installing it in their own cloud. The, in they their intranet. Their intranet, they install it there, and it runs the same, but you're not talking to the outside internet. That's right. You're just talking to your own server. A little bit different realm for updating and keeping it, the software yeah. current. You have to have right. a, a port so, that you can access it, or they may initiate the updates. And that's the way we're going now is, um, the nice thing about our cloud one is we can just update it in the background, and you see it, but with the, now we have versioning and all that, and you know, we'll work with the customers, do WebExes to mm -hmm. run them through the update process and everything. And so, it's been going well so far. That's cool, that's cool. So what's in the suite? And uh, uh, if you say prediction, I'm gonna say why. Yes. But, so let's start with that. I, I'm sure, I mean, Relics was just, that was the cornerstone package. That it was. was the that was the entry package the for most reliability people. Reliability prediction. That's yes. right. So prediction is the parts count, especially the two seventeen based mm -hmm. one, uh, is just we know that it's horribly inaccurate and it gets misused where people think it is a, a prediction of future performance. Right. Right. What what should people be using predictions for? So right. So we do have the reliability prediction package. And our whole reasoning for doing it is because a lot of a lot of groups that's a requirement. You know, a 217 prediction. If they're doing a contract for Department of Defense, that's a checkbox that they have to say, "Yeah, we did it." And so we su we support it, and we can do it. And I think there is value to them. It, they shouldn't be taken. A lot of people like to take them as a like truth of fact. Like, and it goes on their data sheet. Like, Wait a second. Yeah, yeah that's not in. 
it's not, it's, it's okay. And kind of what we're trying to do um, is we're trying to integrate all of our tools together. So we have our Kappa, our Fracas tool. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And with that tool, we will calculate if you put in some time information of how many, how many things you have running out in the field, we'll give you your actual failure rate. And then you can compare that to what prediction gave you mm -hmm. to see, okay, is, are we close here? Is prediction totally off? And then you can start to try to either refine your prediction process or then maybe there's something that you didn't account for happening in the field. Well, after, you know, many products are generational and family-based and so on, so that then can inform your predictions. Is there a facility to do that or do you? So that's what we're trying to do right now. So we just put this integration in in the last six months and we got it first connected. And so we have the information flowing from prediction to Kappa. Right, to and say, then you can compare them. You can compare them. And then what we wanted to start to try to do is um, go back the other way, send Kappa data back to prediction, but then also allow you to do like a mixture failure rate where you're doing partial predicted, partial actuals to get a more accurate failure rate. Right, right. Yeah, the, the and I warned you. I have my no MTBF coffee yeah. mug. Here. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, um, one of my com and and, and uh, oh, years and years I've been talking to this, the folks at Relax and saying, mm -hmm. why are you publishing or, or the, the output of the prediction, for example, and many of the other tools was MTBF. Yep. And I said, why? We know, you know that it's, it's a relatively poor metric. It doesn't really inform the user what's going on or what's the trends or it, it's so, and the other part is it's, it's so often misunderstood. Mm -hmm. you know, and you've right. heard that oh, yeah. where it's a failure free period. Or right, or throw around MT, MTTF and MTBF. They say they're the same thing and you get a bunch of. It's just, a, it, I think it, even if it's used completely properly, so many of the people that uh, interact with that me metric really don't understand it mm -hmm. and don't understand how it's used. Why not provide a, a, a probability distribution or a CDF plot or a reliability or availability metrics instead of an MTBF value? Right, so I'd say that stuff is on on our roadmap of what we want to do, specifically around calculating availability, mm -hmm. do, giving you other ways to sort of solidify how valuable that reliability prediction is. Um, we're just not yet at that point of having that implemented. Um, but one of the routes we're looking is to give you more calculations around that, give you reliability block diagrams, to give you more tools than just this 217 prediction that's been around for 20 years and hasn't been changed. There was some work uh, a few years ago about updating the revision and getting more uh, physics of failure type models behind yep. it instead of tabulated data, which is very, very hard to get anymore. Right. And Telcordia has been struggling to get data. Many of the other standards have been struggling to get information. Yep. So is that on the roadmap to go after the, 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 the physics of failure type approach? Yeah, and so specifically with Telcordia, that's one we're looking at hopefully starting work on like in the next two months. That's that's still, they're still struggling with collecting the right data and stuff. I'm thinking they're going more, you know, we have all these different models for, you know, component failure mechanisms and rates. Mm -hmm. It generally doesn't include the early failures though. Right. And so the databases theoretically capture the mix of failure mechanisms. Um, but the, the tool and the software behind it makes, like Calson and DFR Solutions provide a physics of failure modeling and, right. and tools, 
you've got a much bigger audience and potential and, and, and it, behind the scenes it's a little more sophisticated calculation it is but it's just a formula right right but how about like things like uh, Monte Carlo and, and so on where you end up with an output of um, a, a distribution Right. Rather than a, a rather than the, the flat, the flat line, the MTBF thing that right. liability prediction gets you. So from a computer science side, mm -hmm. is, that's not impossible to do. Absolutely not. No, right. You need some more um, high-level math. Well, how about things like uh, Raptor and uh, BlockSim from Eliasoft, right? Right. Where the block diagram, the blocks themselves can have the whatever distribution. Right. And so that's something that, it, you know, because BlockSim especially is like sort of a combo of fault tree and RBD. Mm -hmm. And so um, right now we do, have, we do have a fault tree module, which sort of starts to get into that realm. Um, our fault tree, fault tree module, we still have some more additions we want to make to it, mm -hmm. but it's at least a solid starting point. And then especially if we add uh, reliability block diagrams to it, and sort of can get those sort of, right, the distribution type things, the more complicated math, it's harder to set up from a user standpoint, you need more knowledge, but it ultimately provides you more accurate, more reliable data, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. more useful. Yeah, yeah. So I still haven't got the answer on why MTBF though. Why, why do we still have it? In yeah, the why is it even? So it's a chicken and egg problem. If, if right. the primary software vendors are providing MTBF, yep. then well, that just reinforces the need to, to, to use it. Right. Because that's what I have. Right? right. Where if you would have provided reliability or availability or uptime or a handful of other metrics that come out of distribution type work, um, it wouldn't be the default. Right, and, and you know, at this point, our reason for having it is because a lot of the times it's a requirement from our customer yeah. that they, they need to have these 217 predictions with MTBF to be able to give back to then their customer to support it, which ends up being our driver. That's right, right. and I've heard that before, it's that you're meeting the customer's request. So what role do we have in, in educating the customer? Is whether it's, you know, me on a podcast or webinars, and, here at the conference of papers and technical stuff or professional societies and standards, right? right? And then software, you're trying to fit into that realm. Do you take a leadership role in educating your customers in some realms? Yeah, and I know a lot, and so we're relatively new to this whole, I mean, this is our second time at Rams now, and um, I know something that we would like to get into, hopefully even as early as next year, is especially with the tutorial sessions, mm -hmm. being involved in actually running them, so then we're, we're showing that we're being the leaders and you know how it should be done, how it should be used, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and also providing you tools, but then also guiding you along the way of doing it the correct way, not just checking a box and say, hey, yep, we did an FMEA. You know, and that tells you this. Somebody will buy the prediction because it makes it quick and easy and it's not painful to do a, a prediction, right. and they can check the box. Yet you know as well as I do that it doesn't help the customer. It doesn't help the the people that are receiving the prediction. Right. You know, it's it's kind of a waste of time, to be frank. Yeah. To, to a large degree, and I've had that happen where it was a, a condition of sale. Mm -hmm. If right. we don't send them a document with the prediction, um, they won't send the check. Right. And that's and, yeah. And that's how a lot of that's how the the world is now. And hopefully we can either I don't know if it's a new standard that has to be made or just totally different from reliability prediction, you know, but hopefully we can start to transition to that way. Um, but, you know, now it's, it's part of our world and there is still value in providing a, a rough guide 
of you know what's going to be a more what what components are going to be more failure have more failures than other ones. Well, that was one of the, the first prediction I did, and it was really just an exercise for me to know what a parts count prediction. I got about ten minutes into it, and I went mm -hmm. down to my boss and says, "What?" You want, how does this make sense? Mm -hmm. and, and, and it was Dick Moss, and he said, it's, you know, the actual number you get is not, it's not terribly useful in any realm, because it, and in theory, if you have really good uh, component information failure rate or subsystem failure rate information yep. from your designers, from your products, uh, from your customers, it's, it, theoretically, it should line up pretty well. It should. And, and it, and I think the theory is, is fine, he says, but it, it really doesn't connect to what the actual performance is. And I think even 217 says in the document, right. don't use this to predict future actual performance. Right, because they, right, they assume constant reliability right. the whole and way instead of doing the, yeah, there's the no end of life type stuff. Yeah. Right. And I said, well, well, why are we doing it? You know, this is ridiculous to do it just for a checkbox. What are they going to use it for? Mm -hmm. and, and he said, you know, I don't think they actually use it. And yet, in this right. particular circumstance, it's, it's just somebody thought it would be a good idea, and they added it to the contract, and right. for this program, it doesn't make sense. And so we, he said, but it helps your design team use less parts. Mm -hmm. You add parts, the prediction gets worse. Right, right. right. It's just it's just worth sheer how it numbers. Works. Yeah, <laughs> it's just how it works. And he said, if you if you keep the electronics cool, mm -hmm. it it reduces the failure rate because right. a lot of them are based on an Arrhenius equation. And, right. And so we, it, he says it it helps your team uh, have the right behavior concerning reliability. Mm -hmm. Fewer park out. Um, Keep it cooler, and some of the other factors that the prediction is, is as they make changes, they can see the reflection yep. of what it does. And then comparing different architectures, comparing different uh, concepts, right? You, know, you can put together a quick prediction and compare them. Uh, another view I've seen is is what what surprises a lot of people is they go. We have that many capacitors in here, right? And even though individually they're really pretty robust, but you add have in. a thousand of them, and all it of a sudden they're it, they're the block that's going to cause problems, right? By the way, capacitors, connectors, and power supplies keep reliability people in business because mm -hmm. they're just right. they're horrible. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that's something that we're that's another thing that we tried to do. So we have a feature called dashboards. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that lets you do with reliability prediction is it'll plot your failure rate from zero degrees Celsius to 100 degrees Celsius and give you a nice graph so you can see that, okay, at 10 degrees Celsius and 80, we have huge spikes in our failure rate. And so then it'll give you that incentive to, yeah, keep it cooler, keep it in a certain range, range right, as opposed right. to taking our failure rate is 57 failures per million hours. <laughs> Period. <laughs> Something like that. End of story. Yeah. Well, you should check. I, I, my paper got pushed into the uh, to, um, poster session near the end of it, but it's on, on exactly that concept. It's mm -hmm. using the derating guides instead of a point forty, you know, 50% derating for a capacitor for voltage. Yep. It's, w w what if I change the if my applied voltage is 48% or 30% of the rated voltage or here. What it, happens? It changes the, the, the stress changes, so my expected failure rate should change. Right. Right? And that's way more informative. I'll have to take a look at that dashboard, because yeah, I think that's in the realm that then you can inform people to make good decisions. It's neat, yeah, and it does. We do, right now we have on a temperature, 
you can set zero to 100, you can set all that. And also based on the different environments in the 217 handbook. So then you can see, you know, if, if it's on, if it's just on the ground versus in flight and space flight, you'll be able to see the different failure rates. And it, that one's it's kind just, of informative. That That's one's just mostly play. cool because there's one called Cannon Launch, which also always has a massive failure Spike, rate. Spike, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That was kind of funny. <laughs> you know, the, the guys doing oil exploration, when they put... They put some sophisticated stuff down the down into the borehole when mm -hmm. they're exploring for oil. Yep, and and that's a harsh environment. That I thought is, cannon launch was bad. That's a that's a oh yeah. There's some bad ones. There's some bad ones out there. <laughs> it, I, you know, one of the tools to think about is is moving that into the derating part. Mm -hmm. is, is is I'm picking suppliers and vendors, and I get their max rated voltage, and I know that I'm at a 10 volt or 5 volt rail. Um, I can start putting in, you know, what's the that relationship between how do I derate this? What's the property rating line? Right. Because you already have all that information. We Could do. Use that right. dashboard kind of idea and it's show just, that curve. Right. It's a bit more taken into a bit more equations than what we have today to take into, right, to derate that information into account to then give you those sort of stress. Hey, I'm only using that 10 volts when it can be used at 50 volts, whatever that case is. And it's a trade off then. And, and oftentimes they're doing the, so instead of waiting to the design or the bill of materials available, which is typically when we do a prediction. Right. Is move it up into the design process. Right. Start it. Start it before you've built anything. Have it really planned out, and then, right? Then you you can make it better. You know, you can just put in all right. We have a hundred capacitors, and then get you a rough idea. That's right. But then, as you know more, then all right. Then you can put in more specific data and make it more accurate. But at least you have a baseline to start That's right. from. That's right. Well, let me switch gears here. We'll wrap up a little bit. Is uh, does Reliance offer like webinars or training and things like that? Yes. So we do. Actually, I do myself. Okay. Um, so I do. I typically do one hour. WebEx demos with customers on any or all modules that they're interested in. Mm -hmm. um, we'll do follow-ups. We also can, we'll do, we'll come to your location and then do trainings. Really kind of whatever they need, we want to make sure we're So is the training based on, you know, how to use the software kind of stuff or is it more how to, how to apply reliability techniques? It depends on our customer's knowledge. Um, if, if it's someone who's already very familiar with FMEAs, for example, we're not going to walk them through the theory behind what every column is in the FMEA worksheet. Right, right. We'll just walk them through, hey, this is how you do it in our tool. Uh, but a lot of times we do have customers who will take them through um, our process for me. We have a pretty robust from process flow diagram to PFMEA worksheet to control plan. Mm -hmm. We'll walk them through the theory behind it so then, because data will flow between each of them so they can understand how to do it efficiently and then it'll give them an accurate result that they're doing correctly mm -hmm. using our tool. Okay, okay. Yeah, we'll have to talk. I, I, uh, I'm putting together a professional development site. And oh, cool. Some of that, how, not the how to use your software, but right. how to use the tools. How to use the general. tools, and you happen to be using that software. Right, because in the, at the end of the day, they all are involved in the same basic goal. Mm -hmm. And then how you get there, hopefully we can make it better. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. And so what's the best way for people to get in touch? If you're here at the conference, which they won't hear this podcast except for the guys in the background. Right. Right. Is, exactly. Is, is you have a booth here and bright white shirts and yeah. smiling faces and all that good stuff. Um, well, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Yeah. So our site, just Reliance.com. Okay, with a Y. Um, we yeah, Reliance R-E-L-Y-E-N-C-E. -E. Right. Uh, there is right on there, right at the bottom, there's our phone number. Um, if you call that and hit one, you'll get our sales team. Mm -hmm. And then we have an email address, info at reliance.com. Either way, we'll get we'll get your uh, questions, anything. Okay. Well, that's cool. We'll appreciate that. I'll put some of that information up on the on the on the show notes and okay. the links and stuff like that. 
And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking some more, especially yeah. about the, some of the training type stuff. And Absolutely. Like that. That'd be really cool. Yeah, I appreciate it. This right. is, yeah. It's always fun to talk to people about it. Oh, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> All right, well, thank hey, you very thanks, much. Thanks, Fred. All right. Yeah.